0: You know, life went on after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but those who are privy to the events of the Passion Week found it very difficult. Life was mighty confusing for those who had put their dreams on Jesus only to see him executed on a cross. Back then and and still today, a lot of our desperation is wasteful. A lot of our desperation is unneeded. A lot of our desperation is redundant. There, We've adopted both of our children as newborn babies and before the Lord allowed us to adopt our son, we heard of three Newborns that were to be born that we possibly could ask to adopt. That's unheard of, three at once. And the thing, though, was we could only apply to adopt one of the children. So which do you say you would like to try to adopt? We prayerfully determined it was our son, Jonathan, that we would try to adopt. As it time rolled on, it turned out that the other two babies were not placed for adoption. We have a sovereign God. We can trust him for everything. He cares about everything. He's in control of everything. And there is great peace and encouragement in that truth. Well, on the day, the Sunday, of Jesus' bodily resurrection, two of his distant followers these were not the most immediate disciple followers but they had a following of Jesus to some degree they were two men that were wallowing in what turned out to be for them wasteful desperation they were wasting their time being desperate and in Luke 24 verses 13 to 27 we read an astounding account Luke 24 13 and following and behold Two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were conversing with each other about all the things which had taken place. And it came about that while they were conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in the last days? That's ironic. And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the woman had said But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And as they approached the village where they were going, he acted as though he would go no farther. And they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. And he went in to stay with them, and it came about that when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. Yes, they were wasting their time and energy being desperate initially in this account. Verse 13, and behold, the two of them were going on that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Life went on after the resurrection and For these two ordinary men, life entailed walking to a small town northwest of Jerusalem called Emmaus. Maybe they had business to conduct there, or maybe they had a person to see, or maybe they lived there, or maybe they had just visited Jerusalem from that region. We don't know. The scriptures don't tell us what took them to Emmaus. But there they were, walking with their thoughts to Emmaus. And something was heavy, very heavy on their hearts. Verse 14, and they were conversing with each other about all these things which had taken place. They were conversing with each other about Pilate and about the mob and about Golgotha and about the mammoth earthquakes and about the daytime darkness and about the resurrections of believing Jews from the cemetery by the Kidron Valley. They were conversing about the temple and the curtain of the temple between separating the Holy of Holies from the other part of the temple being ripped in two from top to bottom. The same curtain that Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us that the priests tested with teams of horses to see that it could not be ripped they were conversing about these things they were conversing about Joseph of Arimathea giving up his less than complete brand new family sepulcher wherein Jesus' precious body was laid they were discussing what an empty Passover Sabbath it had been they were Confused. The one that they and all the others had looked to to be the deliverer, the political deliverer of the Jews who are under the boot of Rome, had been crucified of all things, put in Joseph's tomb. And so they believed it was all over. All of their high aspirations were gone. They were. Discouraged, they were disoriented, they were dismayed. On to verse 15. And it came about that while they were conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. Isn't that just like your living God? that while they were discussing and talking and commiserating and complaining and hurting and disparaging and questioning, at that very moment, the risen Christ himself approached them and he began to travel with them. Isn't that like your risen God? He approaches you to travel with you. You know, Christmas is about God himself approaching us as blind sinners. Easter is about God himself approaching us as doubting sinners. Verse 16. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. They didn't recognize the risen Christ, although he otherwise was recognizable. Why was that? God prevented them for a time recognizing who Jesus was. Why? Why would God have chosen to prevent these two men on a road to a place called Emmaus? Why would God sovereignly decide and plan and work to prevent them from recognizing the risen Christ? 30 to 31. And it came about that when he, Christ, had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, breaking it and giving bread to them. He, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Their eyes were opened. Implication, their eyes had been closed supernaturally to some degree. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from them. Why would God have done that? God did that so that they would listen and be astounded at a miracle of resurrection. So that they would have all the time that God intended for them to have in the tutelage under the teaching of the risen Savior. You know you have the same. You will have every single day that God has preordained for you to have on earth to learn of Jesus in this book. The psalmist in 139 verse 16 says to God, thine eyes have seen my unformed substance and in thy book they were all written, watch it, the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. God has charted out for each and every person on planet earth how many days they will have life before that person is conceived. You're gonna get every day that God means for you to have on earth to come under the tutelage of Jesus Christ through the book that the Holy Spirit has written called the Bible, are you seizing every day you can with the Bible? Don't waste a day. God prevented these two men from recognizing the risen Christ immediately so that he could be with them every minute the Father willed for them to have a talking to from a risen savior. Now, what did Jesus do with these precious moments that he had with these particular men? Well, in the first place, he pointed them back to the Old Testament scriptures. He said, forget about your feelings. Forget about your despair. Forget about your conundrums. Forget about your doubt. Forget about you. Go back to the Old Testament. How did he do that? In verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. That was a way of saying the Old Testament. He said, you're off the rails, you're discouraged, you're despondent because you've forgotten the Old Testament. He pointed them back to the Old Testament scriptures. He pointed them back to not their feelings, but to the revelation of God as found in the Old Testament. But that's not all that he did. The second thing that he did is he reminded them of the centrality of God's glory in everything that happens. He reminded these two men on the road to Emmaus, crying into their soup, as it were, of the glory of God in all things. In verse 26, what Jesus asked, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? He said, set aside what you wanted Jesus to do with respect to Rome. Set that aside. See the biggest picture possible, which is always the glory of God. So Jesus took them back to the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus focused them with a laser beam focus on the glory of God. Third, he focused them on the sacrifices that were necessary under the Old Testament law for redemption. He said, forget about the things that you're fixated on. You fixate you focus on God's redemptive plan, which was always to bring sinners into a fellowship of relationship with a holy God because their sins had been covered and paid for. And God willed that initially to be the blood of animals in the Old Testament. But all those blood sacrifices of all those animals were anticipatory of the final sacrifice of Jesus, the Lamb of God, slain once for all the just for the unjust. So Jesus says in the first place, go back and think what the prophets wrote in the Old Testament. Second place, think about how central the glory of God is to everything. Third, you think about redemption. You think about what happened in the Old Testament with the animals and now how that's culminated in my sacrifice on the cross of my blood. Think about that. That'll lift your chin. That'll encourage you. And last... Jesus educated these men, educated these men in the fact that the Old Testament scriptures are Jesus Christ at the very center of all the Old Testament. When you open your Bible and go to any book of the Old Testament and go like this, you'll find Christ. Christ is the center of the Old Testament. Christ is the center of the New Testament. Christ is the center of the whole Bible. These fellows needed to be reminded of that. Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's a way of saying the Old Testament, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. What a theology lecture that must have been. And so this Palm Sunday, To what do you need to be pointed back to? To what do you need to be reminded? To what do you need to refocus? You will be alive on earth by God's good hand and providence every day that he has ordained for you to be alive on planet earth. And the reason he's given you life and every day of it is to be taught of him through his scripture by the Spirit of God who wrote it and that you would magnify Christ in your own hearts, families, marriages, communities, workplaces, and world. Let's not waste one single day. And so when you come back to it, the two men on the road to Emmaus had an encounter with the risen Christ, and he talked to them about the importance of the scriptures. He talked to them about the importance of God's glory. He talked to them about the importance of redemption sacrifice himself on the cross. And he talked to them about needing to understand that he is at the center of all the scriptures. And so, you know what it is? It's about revelation not premonition if you're a fearful person an anxious person get away from your premonitions and get into revelation the two don't live together it's one or the other what this is telling us is that the facts of scripture is what we base our lives on not our feelings my feelings go up and down sideways all the time my feelings are unpredictable they're untrustworthy and so are yours. It's the facts of scripture that are rock solid. Rock solid. So you say, okay, Pastor Rob, what should I take away from this short message? Verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Here's what I would suggest we take from this. Six applications all to do with the Bible. Number one, you want to read the Bible? Put it on your favorite chair at home. So you have to move it before you can sit down on the chair. Want to read the Bible? Put it on your pillow before you go to sleep. Before you can lay your head on the pillow, there's the Bible Put your Bible on your phone. Put your Bible on your car speakers, iPods, podcasts. Put the Bible on your personal computer speakers. Make a daily appointment with God and his word. Meet with God each day in his word. That was what Jesus brought it all back to when he had just a few minutes to spend with two men on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection. We can never, ever overestimate the value and the importance of the Bible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We praise you for its truth. We praise you for its accuracy. And we praise you that it is spiritual food for our inner man or woman. May we be people of the Bible. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.